Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the gift of your love, your peace, your strength. We thank you for the call that you have on our lives and for what a joy it is to begin living that thing out, whatever that means to each one of us. Today, we pray for your Holy Spirit to move among us, to be with us in every way, to help us hear what you say to us today through these powerful and strange words in Luke 14. We're still on this journey of learning to love like Jesus in an age of division. Help us to know what that is. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and together we say, amen. All right, Luke 14, beginning with the first and then skipping to the seventh verse. Let us hear the word of God. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Then down to verse 7. When he noticed how the guests at this meal chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by the host. And the host who invited both of you may come to you and say, Give this person your place, and then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends and your brothers and your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. As we think about loving like Jesus in an age of division, we must ask ourselves, from where does that love come? From where does that love come? Hold that question in your heart and mind this morning. It's really, really important that we answer that question well. Last week, uh, Shannon and I had a visit with one of our recent college graduates from our church. Her degree is in cinema and television arts. It's really a fascinating thing. She had gone out to Los Angeles to 
see what it's like out there because that's one of the hot spots for that kind of work, cinema and television arts. She discovered out there that it is a very tough place. You might have already imagined that. She discovered that to be true. Out there, she said, everybody's got an angle all the time. You think you're just having coffee with a friend and all of a sudden in 30 seconds, they're hitting you with a pitch for some idea looking either for free labor or financial backing for whatever it is that they would like to do. And if you're not ready to just jump right in, coffee's over, dinner's done, and you're not going to see them again (laughs) unless you're willing to help with what they're trying to do. She said it was exhausting. Everybody was always trying to get something from everybody else. She said it was good to get back home to Tennessee where she could just be, just be, and enjoy life. Her story puts me in mind of Luke 14 when Jesus goes to this dinner. You see, all these people gathering in the home of the Pharisees were invited either in response to an invitation that had been given by the host or because the host was trying to invite them, trying to generate an invitation to their home. Even Jesus is there because the Pharisee leader would like to have Jesus in his debt. This was all about status and place of honor and privilege within this insular religious community. In other words, everybody at this dinner is trying to get something from everybody else. That's the kind of dinner we're talking about. Everybody's trying to get something from everybody else. The guests are all jockeying for position near the head of the table. That's the place of highest value, both literally and metaphorically. Jesus watches all of this nonsense, and when it gets quiet, he quotes loosely from Proverbs 25. That's what he's doing here, a biblical word of wisdom which basically says, wise people don't act this way. Wise people don't act like this. Wise people, Jesus says, walk with humility, knowing that it is far better to be invited up by the host rather than sent back down when you have overstepped. He puts his favorite saying with it, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm sure a whole lot of eyes rolled around that table and somebody said out loud, who invited this joker? I bet that happened at that that dinner. The host of the meal, no doubt, was already regretting his choice to invite Jesus when Jesus caught his eye in verse 12. Jesus said to the host, when you host, when you do this, don't invite your friends and relatives, your brothers, your rich neighbors, so that they can repay you with an invitation to an even nicer banquet. No, don't invite these people, the ones sitting around the table. Don't do that. Instead, invite the folks who cannot repay you, the poor, the crippled, lame, the blind. Now, I think we've all had dinner guests, which we have regretted. You probably have at your home or out to eat somewhere. But Shannon and I have, we have never had a guest openly confront us at our own table about enjoying a nice meal with people we know and love. Jesus proves himself a troublesome dinner guest, and he probably isn't going to be invited to any more of these. But I'd like for you to notice what he says. The reference to Proverbs 25 is a good word of wisdom, which I think we can all appreciate. Humility is to be a hallmark in the kingdom of God, a hallmark of our way of life. But the second thing he says, the thing that he says to the host, why 
it really challenges the mind of the Pharisee and biblical scholars even today. Jesus goes back to Leviticus 21. He pulls from Leviticus 21. We always get in trouble when we go to Leviticus, don't we? Anybody enjoy reading Leviticus? No, nobody likes reading Leviticus, not even the biblical scholars. Jesus goes to Leviticus and he pulls three categories of people specifically who could not be part of the priestly community. They were forbidden from serving in this community. Now, all the people around this table where Jesus is, they are all somehow part of the priestly community. Even Jesus was a rabbi. The Lord says in Leviticus 21, the crippled, lame, and blind cannot serve in the priestly community. Now, in Luke 14, the same Lord says, you should invite them and the poor to sit at your table, eat your food, be in your life, even though they cannot repay you. Jesus says, invite these folks, and then you'll get to see what real blessing looks like. Your repayment will be far better than this honor, status, and self-righteousness, self-righteousness stuff you're playing with around this table. What we have here is a startling reversal of values happening around Jesus. With the Pharisees, we have this thing that we all know. We know this one. What's in it for me? We know about that. What's in it for me? That's what the Pharisees have. With Jesus, we have, how can I bless the world? Especially those who can never repay. And as Leviticus tells us, even those who are considered impure, unclean, and broken. Now, this is a major change in our day-to-day operating system, the way that our brains work. On the one hand, we really do live in the what's-in-it-for-me world. We live in this place, what's-in-it-for-me. We have to collect from others, we know this, we have to collect from others that which is of value so that we can have enough to share and so that we can sustain ourselves. That's just the way the world works. There is some fixed amount of status and wealth and power and blessing and we need to get our part of it, especially if we want to help others and be self-sustaining in the long term. Jesus says, no, no. That is only if you put your sense of value and worth in what other human beings feel, think, and say about you. But if you accept what God feels, thinks, and says about you, your value is sacred And your ability to bless the world with real blessing is actually limitless right now, today. With the Pharisees, we have this endless cycle of using each other. It's what the Apostle Paul called devouring one another. It is a recipe for division, strife, and anger. With Jesus, we have this call to turn outward, to trust God, to love, to bless, and to intentionally share life with those persons who are called impure, broken, and unclean. Jesus couldn't be more clear about how we are supposed to spend our lives. Couldn't be more clear. A great theologian called Jürgen Moltmann wrote, the gospel is, the good news is, that God loves that which is unlovable until it becomes lovable. That's just another way of saying we should believe the best about each other until it becomes true, not because it is already true. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But we have to be so careful with this. This is very countercultural. So much so 
but it will get you in trouble with the world and with our cultural Christianity, what we called churchianity a couple weeks ago. This got Jesus killed because it messed with the way of the world and the way of religion a bit too much. If we are serious about loving like Jesus in an age of division, we must come to grips with the source of that love which we offer to the world. Do we collect that love from others, using them to fulfill our personal needs and then just letting a little of the excess spill over to the world around us? That's the kind of love being passed around the Pharisees' table and even now, even among some of our most religious people, that's the kind of love that we're talking about. Or do we recognize God as the fountain of life-changing love, which is sacred, limitless, secure, and welling up from within you and me like streams of living water, John chapter 7, because of our faith in Jesus. One of these ways of being in the world generates life, love, hope, and blessing to our divided world. The other just uses it up. The way of Jesus requires nurturing God's gift through prayer, worship, paying attention to God and all our neighbors, especially when we disagree. The way of the world demands that we devour each other. Be careful which way you choose and know that you must choose every single time you encounter another human being. You make a choice about which way you will be in the world. The future of the world quite literally hangs on how you will bless the world at lunch today with the life-changing love of Jesus. That's what we hear in Luke 14. Jesus makes it clear. Let's help each other get it right as we go forward together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen. Amen.